0: Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair podcast. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. It is April 6th, 2021 here in Ottawa. We are in super duper full lockdown still. That's why I don't quite know what day it is. A real one this time, not not just us. No. Yeah, Mayfair got a head start on this lockdown by a little while, but now everybody's in lockdown.
0: Yeah, nothing to brag about, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's something though.
1: That's why it was weird when this thing happened because we were already in it but now now the whole city's in it are we even in the worst than red zone now i haven't kept track are we in like the gray zone yeah the gray
0: zone yeah gray's worse oh man which is still weird to me i will always think red is the worst zone but i don't know i'm not the zone maker guy so what do i know
1: yeah gray just sounds kind of isn't there a black zone is that the worst That's where like no one leaves the house. I'm not sure.
0: Damn, that sounds bad. Or the negative zone or whatever, like Superman (laughs) 2. I don't know how this works.
1: They stick us in some hula hoops if we just go into a prison dimension.
0: (laughs) This doesn't sound good at all. It's like, what is Richard Donner doing here? Like, I (laughs) thought that would be the weirdest part.
1: Yeah, when do like the Judge Dredd show up and police the streets and really make us not leave the house?
0: Oh, God. If it's really going to be bad, it'll be the original Judge Dredd too, not even the good one. Yeah, the one where he took off his helmet. <laughs> yeah, come on. We don't we don't mess around with that. Like, jeez.
1: Shockingly enough, I was such like an uber nerd at that trailer. I remember it back in 95 or whatever it was. Yeah. Where the whole shtick with Judge Dredd is that, well, not the whole thing but is that he doesn't take off his helmet he never takes off his helmet and in the trailer stallone (laughs) takes off his helmet and i remember just being like furious in the movie theater oh my god and he's perfect casting great casting but just that the powers that be which is nothing different because now you see a spider-man poster and it's him without the mask or an iron man poster and it's him without the mask because people think well i don't know if people will go see iron man if they're not 100% 100% positive that Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Mm-hmm. But back then, yeah, they were like, no, he needs Stallone's face to get butts in seats. So they took off his mask.
0: I remember they were talking about Tom Cruise being Iron Man for a while. And that was one of the big debates was they were basically like, yeah, he's barely going to wear the, the suit because they need to see Tom Cruise's face. And that's
1: the great thing about Spider-Man with a full mask is either it's easier to do a CG Spider-Man and not have it look like Polar Express, or it's easier to slap a stuntman in there and be like, yep, yeah, that's Spider-Man. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, that checks out. He's a web crawler. That seems to be him. I love watching, not even that
1: old, Die Hard comes to mind that as we go along, each year we just get more savvy about film production. The average person today knows 50 terms for film production that they didn't in the 70s or the 50s. You watch Die Hard and there's a couple of scenes where you're just like, yeah, that's a stuntman where there's like a fight scene and you could 100% see the side of a face or and just tell that it's not Bruce. Whereas (laughs) now they're a lot better at that kind of stuff.
0: That's funny you said They're not better at that in Bruce Willis movies now. No. (laughs) That's, oh man. You guys are gift wrapping this for me right here. I was about to say, I just watched a direct-to-video Bruce one. I was thinking of both of you. There was, I don't even know why. Did it have kill in the title or? Somehow it didn't, but the cast was like great. There was a listicle or whatever, you know, that had the best, uh, it was like the 18 best in a row, you know, DTV ones from recently or whatever. It had a better title than that, I'm butchering it. But obviously I checked from the ending up and. And I was like, oh yeah, I see those kill titles. Like I'm seeing all those ones. And then I skipped to the number one because I was like, well, you know, we got to see what's number one. And so it was this movie called Once Upon a Time in Venice. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. And, and so it was like actually supposed to be kind of funny and, and you know, like maybe he tried a little bit harder, uh, but the cast was actually like good. John Goodman's in it. And Jason Momoa's is in it, I think. Yeah. And who? Thomas Middleditch, you know, who I'm impartial to, but he's known. And yeah, Jason Momoa, yeah, plays a drug dealer, so you know it's good.
1: (laughs) This sounds like it could almost be a real movie.
0: Yeah, Famke Janssen's in it. Oh, wow.
1: I've seen the trailer. It looks like a real movie, not a a one-day wonder. No. On a sliding scale, is Bruce actually putting in some thespian effort to it, or is he...
0: Yeah. Yeah? It's the best Bruce one I've seen in years. He actually seems to be trying and oh Cal (laughs) Penn was in it too I don't know if it's just because like they got better actors around him or something but oh yeah there was David Arquette was briefly in it and I was like was that David Arquette like is this such a someone you don't think to see in movies these days no offense
1: (laughs) I like that that's where we've found ourselves with Bruce where the glowing review quoted on the poster is he's actually trying in this one
0: yeah yeah well and it's from the writer of Cop Out so I don't know how it was oh weird (laughs) yeah like it ended up being watchable I think it's it's like his only movie that he's directed. Like, it's, it's the guy who wrote that, but he also directed this. But I guess he was known for this. Do you remember that show, Gary the Rat, with Kelsey Grammer? God, I don't, actually. Yeah, it was like a 2000... Well, I think it, it developed as an internet cartoon. But basically, yeah, that was the only other thing this dude directed was that. And then 17 years later, they let him direct his own scripts <laughs> for Bruce Willis and... I mean, it only has a 5.3 on IMDb, but for DTV Willis, that's like a 10, I think. So it's pretty good.
1: (laughs) Was Gary the Rat
0: animated? Yeah, I believe so.
1: It was in that era of fish police and just a ton of non-Simpsons, kind of non-successful cartoons that came on at night.
0: Yeah, basically. I mentioned it as if, you know, I just watched it last week or something, but (laughs) literally I saw the title and was like, oh, yeah. It's just, it was... In that era of cheap looking internet cartoons where you were like, this isn't very good.
1: For my straight to, it's, I don't know what you call it. I still don't know what you call it. But what would have been a video store movie once upon a time, I watched the latest Tremors movie. Oh, nice. It's a similar reaction where my glowing review is, wow, that actually wasn't terrible. <laughs>
0: I heard it's a return to form, but what does that mean in that series? (laughs)
1: It's just the monsters are good and Michael Gross is good and it kind of, yeah, it's definitely more effort put into it than many of those type of sci-fi Sharknado
0: knockoff movies. Yeah, is that the one that's in Shrieker Island or was that the one before this one?
1: Yeah, is it Shrieker Island or Graboids Island or something Island?
0: There was a working title or something, but it always made me think Shrieker Island made me think of when I went to the Bahamas with my ex. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Zing. No, no, it's only a half truth. But that's
1: all I've been watching. I, I've been watching a lot of Mystery Science theaters, catching up on those on the amazing Shout Factory TV. They're just there, you can just watch them. But yeah, I haven't been watching a lot of movie movies it's still that thing where there's a lot of i had watched a lot of the kind of serious movies out the last little while like ma rainey's black bottom stuff like that stuff that's just out there oh you watched that it's really good yeah
0: yeah it's funny i was listening to the older uh podcast from a few weeks ago we were talking about it but i didn't know that anyone actually got to see it yet
1: it's heavy but it's very good and one of those things where sad that chadwick will get awards after he has died but it's it's deserved. It. it's weird because he was only In his early 40s it will definitely be half career recognition and half yeah you did a very good job and it's sad that we're not going to get another few decades of work out of you but yeah it's a very good movie and it's it's something to point out that we would likely have been screening this movie and to come to the defense of poor little billionaire netflix that they're really doing an effort of putting out some high quality stuff that would not have been a tv movie once upon a time did they do that That one? I didn't realize. Yeah, that's like an official Netflix, Netflix movie. Oh,
0: huh, that's interesting. So, uh, yeah. And I definitely think like, I mean, he's a shoe in to win it. Oh, he has to. I think that's pretty, yeah. And like, I do expect we will screen it. We tend to get stuff that actually does end up winning. We seem to find a way to show it. People are, well, I was going to say demanding, but it's understandable.
1: That would be the ideal. And who knows? You don't want to jinx anything, but say we're back in April or May, and that's just after the Oscars have happened. And then if there's more buzz and if Netflix is up to it, I think we could draw a crowd for sure of saying, we're playing this movie that won best actor for a couple of days. So yeah, we'll see. It'd be nice to get all that stuff on screen. Like we got to squeeze in Mank, which I just thought looked amazing. So some of these other ones that we missed out on would be nice to kind of get them back. And I think we have the crowd for it. People who either just don't have Netflix or who are cinema fans enough who want to come and watch it on the big screen. So I think we could pull that off mm-hmm. theoretically. But who knows? The next few months is going to be more bizarre for movie distribution than it's ever been. So I keep on telling people that how movie distribution is a complicated puzzle before. yeah. So now it's just going to be like, who knows? Like, if we were open right now, would we be playing Kong Godzilla? I don't know. So it's it's very interesting. The mystery. Yeah. It's
0: hard to imagine on a smaller screen.
1: See, I didn't even see the last Godzilla movie.
0: <laughs> well, it was it was more of the same, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> Giant monsters, you know, they're battling and whatnot.
1: Yeah. I hope it's an excuse to maybe us get to screen some more older ones if people are interested. I don't think our Godzilla minifest last time did superbly. It was mm. under the asterisk of it was right during I think our first comeback from COVID, so it was a strange time for everybody, but I would love to, especially next year, show King Kong or show stuff like that, stuff we haven't... I don't think we've screened King Kong in the last 10 or 12 years, at least. No, I don't think so.
0: No, it's been a while. That's always the one I think of because it came out probably six months after we opened, basically. That's pretty cool.
1: I just read today, it caught my eye, I should find something to retweet it, but it's Anthony Perkins birthday today and he would have been mm. I don't know 100 or something you know so he would have been 89 they said 1932 that's why it caught my eye so he he was <laughs> you born really reneged on that pretty quick yeah my brain my brain isn't working
0: he's like 100 I <laughs> he's like 100
1: <laughs> but yeah so he was born right around the time of the Mayfair he's a little bit older than the Mayfair so that's kind of cool
0: wow that's pretty well and his son filmed a movie in Ottawa so or at least one
1: yeah it's so crazy that Someone like him who has this iconic legacy and to think that his family is still in the movie biz, is still doing stuff is kind of neat. Is that his son? How old is his son?
0: Oh, jeez. I don't know. 30s, 40s. I mean, now I'm just saying I'm joshing it now. He's like 100, I think. I'm pretty sure.
1: But it's one of those things, he had a kid when he was like 55 or 60 or something. One of those kind of deals.
0: Yeah, because I, I think I remember him saying like the kid, like Oz, you know, remembers being on set of Psycho 3. I feel like I remember okay. him reading that. He was born in 74. Okay, so he's in his, like, 40s. Yeah.
1: But still, like, whenever you think of... It's so funny. I was listening to a podcast with Dick Van Dyke on it. And Dick Van Dyke is in his 90s and sounds like he's in his 40s. Yeah. <laughs> and so he has a son who is in his 70s. And the podcast host was like, do you still think of him as a kid? And he's like, yeah, it's it's strange. But, you know, it's like, I have great grandchildren, and this is my son. And my son is just as active as I am. They got the good... Dick Van Dyke jeans, But yeah, it's strange to think like when you say his kid, whenever they say that, when they say like, oh, his kid is directing a movie, he co-wrote something with his kid. I see that with Stephen King a lot. He co-wrote something with his kid. And you're picturing him at a table with like a 12-year-old with crayons, but you're like, oh no, his kids are grown ups."
0: <laughs> yeah. Just uh, sort of a backing on the Perkins thing. He actually played young Norman Bates in Psycho 2. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't actually think he was that like yeah, I guess that makes it, yeah because uh, Psycho Two is eighty three. It's always a little later than I remember it being.
1: I like those Psycho movies, like all of them, all four of them, or all three of the sequels. Anyhow, of course you like the first one, but yeah, I thought for a franchise, for an eighties franchise, they did a good job, and especially since the fourth one was, at the time, a a TV movie or ended up being a TV movie. I think it was good stuff all the way through and I, I haven't watched the new not new new but the tv series yet
0: yeah well, it's supposed to be quite good like i think it's one of those you know it gets better as it goes along type things but i just i think it's its at least four seasons if not maybe five and so it just got to a point where i was like ah content buried in yeah you know, you'll ch- never catch ch- up
1: <laughs> gwen and i are almost done hannibal which was only three 13 episode seasons we're about five episodes left. So, so no spoilers, but it's, man, it's good. And what blows my mind is it's, it's a old school NBC with commercials. Like every episode is 43 minutes on the dot. Not like nowadays where a Netflix show could be 50 minutes or 57 minutes or 43 minutes. And it's so gory. I can't believe how gory it is for a NBC TV show that it was on, you know, after, a couple of sitcoms and then Hannibal comes on
0: yeah there was even a band episode first season the one with i think it's sherry O'Malley, oh yeah it was yeah, definitely an yeah. snl alum yeah so it was basically, as i recall her character was kind of like indoctrinating kids to use guns or something and so it was like basically like a school shooting related thing basically that they were just sort of like ah and so i think they put it out online only but they never aired it or they cut the parts out that had the kids i think is what they ended up doing so So NBC showed it cut online. It was uncut. And it's, you know, what's so funny is like, that was one of the least gory episodes, actually. (laughs) and So I found it so funny that I was like, oh yeah, we can have the human totem pole on the beach with all the bodies sewn together. But (laughs) uh, a kid with a gun, that's a little- The last
1: one caught my eye because it was written by Don Mancini. Oh, nice. So I know he wrote a couple. He might have even been like a producer on it or something, but that was, it's a rare non-Chucky gig for him that he did in between his giant run of doing Chucky stuff over the past 15 years or so.
0: And another filming the show right now. Yeah, so like he hasn't stopped, but it's, man,
1: it's a good show. And it comes to my mind too, because Gwen has never seen Silence of the Lambs. So Hmm. I always think that's funny when characters, whether they be Spider-Man or Batman or Hannibal Lecter, are kind of generational now after we finish the show i'm gonna pitch it to lee because it's actually silence of the lambs 30th anniversary this year so when we're back maybe in might be a good halloween movie or just a good anytime movie to play silence of the lambs so gwen will have mads mickelson in her brain as hannibal lecter and then we'll watch anthony hopkins as hannibal Lecter. Whereas anybody over a certain age of course goes to anthony hopkins first so it's it's funny stuff like that how it, it goes backwards depending on how old you are
0: yeah I, I like hannibal a lot like the movie hannibal there's just something about it like maybe it's just the way ridley scott shot it or whatever but i really enjoyed that movie and, and it's sort of it's hard to follow up a classic like especially an oscar-winning classic but i don't know i thought that that's a that's a pretty enjoyable flick that kind of get lost in the shuffle there
1: yeah, especially when your co-lead doesn't come back, and Julianne Moore is amazing, but it, oh, yeah. it really stands out. I find it stands out any time, like when you're doing a complete reboot, and it's everybody's different, and it's the Christian Bale Batman universe versus the Michael Keaton Batman universe. But when just one actor is different and the other one is the same, you got to be really good for it to all gel together and not have it being people just sitting there for two hours going, that's not Jody Foster.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. To be fair, like, I'm also a fan of Red Dragon, which a lot of people didn't care for. But, you know, I just, the cast of that one.
1: Because of Brett Radner? (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: that's the thing, like, eh, not a great dude. But I always found, like, people laud Manhunter like crazy.
1: Yeah, it's very good.
0: Yeah, it's good. I just always found the ending way too abrupt. They cut out 20 minutes of the book for no reason. I just always found that that movie, the pacing's good. And then they're just like, ah, big, ridiculous shotgun scene, and it's over. And you're like, okay well i guess maybe we could have done a little more with that you know and so i don't know i'm pretty quiet about that because most people are just like staunch defenders of manhunter anytime you say any any qualms about it but i i did like that about red hunter or red dragon i should say is red hunter (laughs) red hunter i'm like i'm combining it all now the last because i really thought the last like 20 minutes of red dragon is plot wise i found that to be really interesting I, i really found it odd i don't know if it was just a pacing thing or why michael mann cut it out but hey um everyone else loves it and i don't so what do i know it's funny if that was nowadays
1: manhunter would just be a three-hour movie because now we're just oh yeah okay with movies being three hours all the time
0: yeah and i almost think that's what it was it could have been a studio thing where they were just like you're not putting out a two and a half hour movie or whatever oh probably whatever probably
1: yeah they were just like no it has to be two hours the end
0: yeah but but you know, like it's, there's no perfect version. And like, and I did think that was funny going into the TV series of Hannibal, cause you know, I like Mads Mikkelsen fine going into it, but you're just like, ah, oh, Anthony Hopkins, you know, like it's the role, you know? And I think within half an hour, probably you're just taken with Mads Mikkelsen. Like he just makes it his role.
1: Yeah, nerds have that now because all signs point towards, of course, the X-Men and Wolverine will show up in the MCU sooner or later and it's going to be a different Wolverine. So Mm -hmm. that's big, especially since Hugh Jackman, that it was his first big role and that he stood up to the challenge and that then, you know, not all the movies were great, but that he starred or had cameos as that character over a very long period and then went out swinging, I think, because Logan ended up being very well acclaimed and nominated for Best Mm -hmm. Screenplay and all this kind of stuff. So whoever's coming into that role... That's going to be big shoes to fill, I think, to be Wolverine.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious how they unveil that. There's some speculation with Falcon and Winter Soldier might have breadcrumbs to like Dr. Doom or something like that, but it's just geeks just like geeking out about stuff. I don't know how they're going to deal with all that, but it is kind of fascinating to think of all these rights that they have again, and just like how they're going to, you know, it's almost like they have too many toys, you know, in a way, <laughs> just like, how are they even going to deal with all like Galactus and like just so many cool characters.
1: And back in the day, I can't think of times when somebody, I guess, you know, James Bond, I guess James Bond is probably the first example of in big pop culture, somebody replacing somebody. And in James Bond, it didn't work because George Lazenby came in and then they brought Sean Connery back. And then he did a little bit more and then Roger Moore came in. But yeah, I guess I might be wrong, but that might be the first example of somebody coming into a franchise that everybody would notice and be like, oh, that's somebody different playing this person. Or maybe the Wolfman, but I don't think anyone noticed the difference. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Frankenstein's monster, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bury him under enough makeup, it won't matter.
1: Yeah, nobody noticed that Frankenstein and Wolfman were different, but imagine if they would have replaced Bela Lagosi for yeah. one of the Draculas or something.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny with like Creature in Black Lagoon or something, because it really doesn't matter, <laughs> like no offense, but you're like, you can kind of just put anyone on there. You're like, ah, damn it, it's just some other guy. That's funny that
1: we mentioned that because Michael Pitt played a character in Hannibal, and then, not to play spoiler, but he gets disfigured, and then comes back and it's a different actor, but under the makeup. So it was kind of a funny bonus that they had where, oh, maybe people won't notice because he's under all this horrible monster makeup. And I can't think of the actor who's playing him, but yeah. But my joke is that where Don Cheadle plays War Machine in many of the Marvel movies, but he didn't in the first Iron Man film. Don Cheadle's so awesome and no disrespect to the person who played him in the first Iron Man, but I'm like, "Uh, I think they should kind of cut and paste that actor out of the first one and just put Don Cheadle into
0: it. (laughs) Hustle and flow him out of the movie? Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: It's a shame how that worked out, but I mean, well, or is it? I mean, I guess, I guess we'll never know it kind of worked out okay.
1: And I believe that was essentially just, I don't think the first actor was trouble on set or anything like that, but I think basically asked for a lot of money and Marvel called his bluff and hired Don Cheadle instead. I think that's essentially what happened. So it's an example of just them going like, no, we don't think you're that important to the franchise.
0: Yeah, similar with Edward Norton and Hulk, but I think that was more about power struggle. So I think he wanted to have way more to say about the character. And they're like, well, it's our character. So maybe not.
1: (laughs) I kind of vilified Ed Norton and then heard him on three or four podcasts just by happenstance around that time where he was doing publicity for i can't remember the name of the movie but it was kind of like a film noir movie and he directed it i think
0: yeah motherless child motherless child something like that motherless brooklyn brooklyn that's it you (laughs) know what after i said that i was like isn't brooklyn involved somewhere i was like motherless child brooklyn doesn't make sense
1: (laughs) but i heard him on these podcasts and he just was very very nice about his hulk experience and very like yeah i had some ideas and they wanted to go a different way and he won me over because he was referencing some comic books spot on, and was like, I like this plot line and that plot line, and we just kind of went a different direction, and that's okay, and Mark Ruffalo is awesome. And when you hear that versus the media trying to make people into monsters and hate each other, you're like, oh no, it genuinely was a creative difference, and they parted ways, and everyone's fine. And him talking about American History X and him talking about other stuff like that, you're like, oh, no, he always has an opinion and he's always in there, but he didn't sound like a diva in these podcasts. And he sounded very apologetic if his reputation got ahead of him like that. And So, yeah, it's kind of neat when you just hear somebody kind of go, no, it's fine. (laughs) Like it's there was I didn't overturn a table or throw coffee on an intern. I just didn't want to do it anymore.
0: Yeah, because I think he had quite a bit to do with the final cut of American History X. Like, I think this is kind of a running thing with a lot of his movies where he'll have ideas and it's it's not just like yeah diva-esque stuff it's actual well this story is not making sense right now so you know like why don't we do this or that
1: yeah and i guess it kind of comes up because there's some actors who are just like paycheck thank you goodbye (laughs) which is fine
0: Mm -hmm. release the norton (laughs) cut
1: yeah it was american history x where the director took his name off it right yeah
0: i think so because yeah there was I remember, like, I think there's some weird behind-the-scenes stuff with that where there's some implication that Norton had way more to do with the cut, you know, that he was almost like a co-director or co-editor or something at that point because I remember him showing people, like, that was kind of his huge break after that, you know, like, he I can't remember what, I was reading something, he was showing, like, someone at the time, it's one of these weird stories you read now where they're just like, Oh, you know, he just showed me this rough cut of his movie he's working on, American History X, and it's like called So Many Years Removed, where we're like, oh yeah, that movie, that, you know. So like, it's kind of interesting to hear about that kind of stuff where you're just almost like someone's involvement was way bigger than they'll ever get worded credit for, you know. But like, we'll we never know the difference. And
1: supposedly back in the day, this happened way more often, and we just didn't hear about it. And there's all kind of books of, and I'm just making this up, but like Casablanca or Wizard of Oz, where the same way as in a Marvel or Star Wars movie now the director leaves during pre-production or halfway through the movie that used to happen all the time when directing was more of just like a gig like being a cinematographer or a sound person or something but we just didn't hear about it because nobody cared about the credits until i don't know like hitchcock showed up nobody knew what a director was Mm -hmm. and so there was these conflicts before and directors fired and writers rewritten but we just didn't really hear about it because people were more of just oh final product is movie magic and that's all i care about but There's all kinds of stories of real big name directors being replaced or not having final cut or being rewritten. I mean, Mank was kind of a lot about that of how, or I mean, Orson Welles' whole damn career is him not getting what he wanted a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. Another kind of wild fact about American History X, Edward Norton actually turned down Saving Private Ryan to do that. Which is kind of funny to think about where you're like, you can't really picture American History X without Norton. And I don't want to say I can't picture him in Saving Private Ryan, but it's kind of funny. I love stories like that
1: of alternate universes of if people would have turned down a part or in a part instead of somebody else. And it just, it changes not only like the movie, but everything, I think (laughs) like it changes the universe.
0: Yeah, well, and Edward Norton, sorry, not Edward Norton, Edward Furlong was originally supposed to be uh, Joaquin Phoenix.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. In real life?
0: Yeah, well, none <laughs> that. he'd probably say no, but yeah. And I think, yeah, I had to, I had to check the behind the scenes stuff because I was like, oh, I know I'm not 100% on this. But yeah, that was the reason that the director left the project was because Norton changed the cut basically and I I guess the studio preferred his cut and the director's like whoa what the hell am I doing here then
1: so we just got a 10 minute warning so I'm going to segue over to talking about today I posted a 1991 schedule and if anyone's listening you can find it it's on Twitter Instagram Facebook and people love these they're just a real window into the past especially now this is like 30 years ago 30 years ago today was the russia house and sally field in not without my daughter at the mayfair and then strangely a midnight screening of edward scissorhands which is weird to me these old schedules always have weird stuff where i'm like that's so weird that rocky horror is on seven o'clock on a wednesday with no time for cleaning before
0: the nine o'clock show comes on I like the triple bill, was it Rescuers Down Under, with two horror films following up.
1: Yeah, it's separate admission, but yeah, Rescuers Down Under as the kids' matinee, and then Misery and Flatliners on afterwards.
0: (laughs) It's like, that's great. That's a perfect all-day affair. (laughs) And someone was
1: talking about how it's strange that sometimes there's an R-rated movie on before a 14A movie, and I pointed out that I was 14 or 15 when this schedule was out, and when I was 14 or 15, I looked like I was 12, probably. And I had no problem going to see Misery, Jacob's Ladder, The Warriors, all at the Mayfair during this run. So they weren't trying very hard to keep under-18s out of these movies. <laughs> so
0: Yeah, well, it looks like, it's funny, like I never really noticed, but it almost seems like only one... No, two Sundays per month there'll be a one thirty show and every other day starts at seven, no earlier shows than seven PM.
1: Yeah. And then sometimes the midnight show is Ghost, Patrick Swayze Ghost. Yeah. And like that's a weird midnight movie <laughs> because usually midnight movies are, of course, you know, their other one is The Shining. That makes sense. Stop making sense. That's kind of cool the midnight show. Mm-hmm. But Having Ghost on as a midnight show is so bizarre to me, because it's kind of this, like, it's rated AA, but it's just kind of a mainstream Hollywood movie. Yeah. Very popular movie at the time, but yeah, there's stuff like that. And then there's one movie that I'd completely forgotten about, and it was the Ottawa premiere, which the Mayfair didn't have many Ottawa premieres at the time. It was a Danny Glover movie called To Sleep With Anger. (laughs) Been there. I I haven't thought about this movie in 30 years, but at the time it was acclaimed. Like it won awards at Sundance and Independent Spirit Awards. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool movie. And it's so funny how sometimes that can happen where... A movie comes out, and I'm sure it's not forgotten, but I haven't thought about it. No one has ever requested us to screen it. I've never stumbled on it on a streaming service, and it's just kind of out there, you know, like movies. It's like you said, there's too much stuff. We keep making more content despite never being able to catch up on what is already out there.
0: Yeah. No, and I feel like almost every one of these schedules has at least one random thing. Like Paul Hogan's Almost an Angel. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Or like Jeff Goldblum in The Tall Guy. I'm like, oh yeah, for sure.
1: After Dark, My Suite with Bruce Stern is a really good movie.
0: Is it? See, and I wouldn't even have thought of that one. I do like that Rosalie Goes Shopping has subtitles listed. So you don't have people showing up. To, Why are there words on the screen? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't, it's confusing to me. And then sometimes
1: the double bills actually make sense. Like it's a Harrison Ford double bill with Mm -hmm. Presumed Innocent and Blade Runner. But then sometimes the double bills are just completely random. Where was one I saw? Well, this one's not too bad, but they have like Kindergarten Cop and the Blues Brothers. Yeah. And that's
0: that's a little strange. I do like Scissorhands and Young Frankenstein. That's a pretty fun double bill.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I haven't thought about this movie in a long time, but without a clue with Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley, and it's a switch up of... Sherlock being the dumb guy and Watson being the smart guy. Mm. I really like that movie a lot too. And I haven't
0: thought about that movie in a long time. That sounds pretty good. I rewatched The Net the other day. That didn't age well.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love that era of movies where it was like, oh, the internet's scary.
0: Yeah. I'm like This tied in with this schedule nicely. I'm like, oh yeah, The Net. Isn't Dennis Miller in that movie? He is, yeah. He's like sort of the love interest, but not really.
1: (laughs) Remember when Dennis Miller was almost a movie star?
0: Yeah. Remember when The Net was a, sp- a spinoff to a two-season TV show?
1: Yeah, it was a TV show for a while. <laughs> I remember
0: like, that. I guess the guys are like, give me back my email. You're like, oh yeah, this <laughs> is good content. This is good.
1: There was so many movies around that time where it was like, yeah, cell phones are scary. The internet is scary. <laughs>
0: Everything is scary. The hackers, you know, it's like same era. Yeah. Where it's
1: just like, yeah, the internet's either really cool or really scary. Or it was like computers are way cooler than we thought they were of just like, they could do way more just by randomly clicking on
0: keys. Yeah. It doesn't really work that way in real life. Not even now, you know, but hey, soon enough.
1: I always thought about that in Ferris Bueller, which was years before the internet was common. There's a scene where he hacks into the school account and changes his absent days oh his attendance. yeah and i was like could you do that in 1980 whatever <laughs> no <laughs> yeah so it's like they just like sci-fied that up for ferris bueller
0: yeah nobody questioned it either he was a smart kid i mean i guess he could do it but we can't that always stands out to me watching it now
1: post internet of being like ferris bueller was like seven years before the internet and yet he could hack in to his school
0: yeah, I don't think we're there yet, but, you know, maybe, maybe after we're out of high school for 30, 40 years, we'll finally figure out a way to go back and change that.
1: I'll also mention that one of our lovely patrons came up with an idea to make an art print because they were in the midst of doing a comic book. And in this comic book, there's a scene where they walk by the Mayfair. So they took that page and turned it into this really nice print, And now it's for sale various places around town that are kind of still open, like Black Squirrel Books. We're closed down. So we have a few on hand in the cinema, but we can't really do anything with them because it's too difficult to kind of cross paths like that. But if you look on our website, if you look anywhere, Mayfair related, you can pretty easily find some posts about it. But it's a neat idea, and it's been going well. It's so nice when the community kind of, when A, just a fan of the Mayfair goes out of their way to help out during these times like that, and B, when you hear that Black Squirrel has already sold out of 20 prints twice.
0: Damn. Oh, that's awesome. That's huge.
1: Yeah, it's so nice. And it's a really cool thing. It's the Mayfair. It's a character walking by. It's funny, though, because the comic is in its second volume. It's called Phantom Tits. And I realized that trying to post that on Facebook. I'm like, why am I being blocked? And it's was like, oh, <laughs> that's why. But it's a biographical trans tale that leads into a fantastical story. So that's kind of where the title comes from. But if you look up phantomtits.com, you can find the first book. And then the second one is in the works right now. So just really cool. The, the print's really nice. Everyone loves it. I love when people buy stuff like that and then post it in their house. And it's a nice little cross-promotion because they get, you know, a bit of publicity for their book. And I said, whenever we're back, we'd be happy to put an ad in the slideshow or whatever. But if you're interested in that print, just do a little bit of research and you'll find out how to get it.
0: Just don't make us say the
1: name of the title. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not on Facebook, anyhow. Always banning us on Facebook. No,
0: no. I won't tell my mom, but she's very supportive.
1: Yeah. So we got about a minute left, so we'll wrap things up. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in again next week. We'll be back again from our laptops, from our various bunker locations. Hopefully we'll be back in May of 2021. (laughs) We'll see how this gray red zone goes. And just stay tuned to all our social medias for updates. And we will see you back at the Mayfair hopefully very soon. Thanks a lot for listening,
0: everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Bye. Hopefully they'll make a cartoon out of us doing this podcast. I would buy that. Oh, that could be in round three of the comic book. Yeah, yeah, I'll pay. Yeah. (laughs) Yay, we did it. Hooray. Hurrah. Hollywood Pictures presents Judge Dredd. Gene Shalyn of the Today Show says, take that, Batman. Judge Dredd is the real
1: thing. I am the a visual eye twirling triumph, a loaded action
0: express adventure, and a cascade of special effects. Sylvester so Stallone is Judge Fred. Baby crushing pop! Does that come with a fork? Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you.